As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Hi everyone and welcome to Pixels, a podcast for the discerning gamer. And welcome back to Pixels. This is a show where we cover the news from the video games industry. We do this every couple of weeks, usually. We've skipped one, or was it two? I think it was one because I was on like semi holiday, kind of. So we have a lot of stuff to cover. Uh, my name is Patrick Beja, and we are going to be talking about Gamescom, the new NVIDIA graphics cards, uh, the rumors about the next Microsoft consoles, which we didn't. I said consoles, plural, which we didn't uh, cover because, as I said, I was not uh, working. Um, and the Nintendo Switch sales number, we're going to talk about Dead Cells, Battle for Azeroth, Evo, QuakeCon, so many things to cover. And I'm really glad uh, that in, to accompany me in this wonderful adventure of gaming, I'm welcoming for the first time Alicia Judge on the show. Hello. Hey. Welcome. Hi. We have so much to get through. I'm surprised that you've got saliva left in your mouth just after that intro. <laughs> uh, you know, that's what pros do. But most of <laughs> our, our job on podcasts is to make sure that we can serve our saliva. That's half of the job is just that. Um, Pro tip. <laughs> they don't tell you that on the Wikipedia entry for podcasting. But you uh, heard it here. Now you know. Um, so you are a, uh, just to introduce you to uh, listeners who might not have heard of you before, um, you're a, as your lovely accent and the tea you're drinking, <laughs> which people don't know, uh, might, in, <laughs> might indicate, a British uh, games journalist, and you've been working at uh, IGN, at BBC, mm -hmm. at a few other places. Can you tell uh, the listeners where you're coming from and who you are so they have a bit of context? Yeah, sure. So um, I was IGN's UK host for two years and I just left about two months ago to dive into the freelance pool. So I'm now writing, producing and presenting um, for a number of places. BBC Radio One being the main one, but doing stuff for The Guardian and, and things like that as well. Um, it's Yeah, it's been really good fun to just kind of try a bunch of different things. 
Excellent. Well, this all sounds very respectable. I'm very glad you agreed to be on the show. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And we have, as we both mentioned, a lot of uh, ground to cover. So let's just get started with what's been happening at Gamescom. And as usual, you know, Gamescom is the biggest gaming uh, trade show or gaming show in the world, as they often uh, like to repeat. Uh, It's really big because there are over 300,000 people going there, but it's also so weirdly placed in the year, so there aren't a lot of huge announcements. It's not uh, E3, which is the perfect time, you know, to to hype up your games for the holiday period. Uh, uh, now it's not too late, but it's more uh, the time when people get their hands on those games that have been announced at E3, or that's usually the way the way it goes, and you get another round of marketing and 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 uh, uh, trailers and things like that. But there there are some some interesting things happening there and the biggest one is going to please the PC Master Race people amongst uh, us that's the latest graphics card from NVIDIA that's been announced Uh, it's the RTX 20X series, so 2080 and 2070. There's a TI and a Founders Edition and everything. And so they're going from um, uh, uh, GTX to RTX, I suspect, because they are pushing their big feature, which is ray tracing. And Mm. uh, ray tracing is, I mean, obviously they are more powerful. They can do more with uh, the the power they have. It's smaller, uh, um, you know, thinner circuits nano (laughs) i'm losing my my words but it's just (laughs) the standard upgrades for gpus and cpus um that is not so uh uh, surprising the ray tracing that they're putting together is the big thing uh there um you seemed excited about that announcement i mean you graphics cards are always cool but do you expect the increased price on those is going to be worth Mm. it or are you the kind of person that upgrades their you know card to the latest one every time chance they get Sure. No, I mean, it's such a good question. It's it's the main question that people should be asking right now, because we've got this really flashy conference with all these words about ray tracing and rendering and lighting (laughs) and 4K gaming and all of this. And and that's all very exciting. But the reality is, do we need it? And Mm. for prospective PC builders or those just in need of a graphics card upgrade, like the decision of not just what, but actually when to buy it is is really tough and tougher now than it usually is since they've just announced all these graphic cards. I'd say that if you really want to future proof, then yeah, totally like fork out for the new ones because, you know, we're already seeing games that are, uh, you know, going to be using this technology. Like, yeah, they um, showcased uh, Battlefield 5 and uh, yeah. Shadow of the Tomb Raider, right? Exactly. Shadow of the Tomb Raider. Um, there were a few others. Um, yeah, like so we, we're already seeing games showing their trailers and, and showing that they're going to be running on this technology. And like we know that NVIDIA has been working with Microsoft and Epic to get ray tracing integrated into DirectX and the Unreal Engine because they produced a real time demo earlier at GDC this year. So like it's it's going to be a big thing moving forward, but it's not a big thing just yet. So right. if like you don't have the cash right now, I, I wouldn't be super worried. <laughs> you know, like the good news is that actually these new GPUs are going to knock down the prices on the top of the range GTX graphics cards and, and mm. they're still 
currently those ones are still currently powerful enough to power the AAA games. So like if you if you really do if you are strapped for cash, I'd just stick with the graphics cards that are already available because they're fantastic and they'll definitely do the job. Yeah, I'm I'm currently running a, a 970, so it's the generation before, and I'm probably going to be waiting for the 2070 to come down in price. It's it's about they're announcing it for 500 bucks now, so and that's a little bit too much for me. So probably if the cryptocurrency miners uh, leave those cards alone, which they haven't done for the past three years, but it seems they're less interested now, um, the prices will become a little bit uh, more reasonable within six months, I would say. So I'm probably mm. going to wait for that. And uh, what you were saying is really interesting. It's the fact that they're working with the uh, developers for to make sure that ray tracing is available like today in the engine and for a few games uh, already when they're coming out in the next few weeks. Um, ray tracing, for those who weren't born in the you know 70s and who remember <laughs> hearing about it uh, throughout the 90s as this kind of holy grail of um, 3D rendering, uh, it's a, a kind of technology for render rendering uh, 3D images that uh, actually calculates the light beams of um, every pixel and how it bounces off every surface so that you have a realistic rendering of the image with the the reflections of everything out on you know on every surface and the thing is obviously this is the most realistic to rend uh, way to render things but it's very gpu consuming of course mm. so it's been used in in um uh, cgi animation in animation movies for a long time but one image used to take, you know, a long time ago, several hours and probably now several hours still because they do complicated things. So the fact that they're managing to do it in real time is impressive. Um, and it will probably add, you know, it will be a step up in terms of graphics, um, especially on, on, as I mentioned, reflections, you know, on, on cars and puddles and all of those things, because they don't have to trick um, the engine to display those reflections, they can actually calculate how they would look. So it's going to be a little bit better looking. I don't think it's going to be a game changing thing. And especially what you're saying, totally. about, you know, the developers aren't necessarily going to put all of the effort into these technologies today. So mm. it's unlikely that you're going to get a lot of examples of games uh, uh, taking advantage of that technology until it's a lot more commonplace, which is going to be a few years away. So I would also not encourage anyone to go out and buy one of those. But of course, you have people who want the, the latest thing. Um, totally. And, and, and come on, it's it's a shiny thing as well. Is, you know, yeah. it's, it's all about making things sparkle that bit brighter. But I completely agree with you, Patrick. And like, especially because actually, if you want to get the most out of these new GPUs, you're going to also need to fork out for a really high end PC monitor that's got 4K right. and all the bells and whistles. So actually, like the price tag goes up even higher and um, you can still get a really quality gaming experience on mm. the existing nvidia yeah, yeah. gpus i think i think most people who do want to upgrade and again that's not absolutely not necessary uh the people who do want to upgrade are going to wait for the 2070 um which is usually the like i still really want to put a lot of money into my pc but i'm not insane <laughs> you know <laughs> and that the price is you know 400 uh, bucks usually when you wait for a little bit um, totally. 
the other thing I wanted to mention was the Inside Xbox uh, at Gamescom presentation, which is, you know, just another episode of the Inside Xbox uh, presentations they've been doing for a few months now. And um, I have to say, I was a little bit disappointed at how it played. It was just, it, it, um, it was streamed just today, a few hours ago, and it might still be ongoing. But beyond the one that they did today, um, it feels like they aren't really hitting the mark with that series. It's, um, you know, if, if you don't know, it's the Xbox uh, community team with Larry Herb, Major Nelson, and, you know, a lot of people from the team uh, taking the things in their hand and communicating with their fans directly, probably in, in the same way or at least with the same intent that Nintendo does with their Nintendo Direct. Um, mm. What I feel is missing from the inside Xbox is... Um, they, they, it feels like they're trying to fill it even when they don't have enough stuff to talk about. And it, it gets a, a weird feeling of home shopping channel almost, like it's awkward and they're not very natural in their interactions. I feel the communications team is not doing its best job uh, with this thing. So I'm not convinced mm. by it. We're, it's 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 tough, isn't it? Because yeah. like, I I totally agree with you that there are so there are so many developers that feel a huge pressure to say something when they don't actually have something to say, and and I think that's just pressures that come from what consumers put on the industry. You know, we're we're always right. looking for the next big thing, and sure, we've just had E3, we've just had like all of these different conferences and people still want more and there's nothing left to give. So <laughs> suddenly, you know, poor Microsoft is having to scrape the barrel and, and I can't, I think more companies should push back and say, no, like when we're ready to give you information, we'll give you information and we're not just going to do yeah. shows for the sake of doing them. And this is a monthly thing as well, so you really have to to, yeah. to have stuff to talk about. And it it's you know it's the substance of it, but the form as well. I feel they're not very prepared, and what is intended to seem uh, casual and friendly comes off comes off feeling uh, uh, a little bit. I don't know, awkward and and sometimes even a bit cringeworthy. So it's a bit disappointing because I you know as everyone i want xbox to be cool and succeed and it seems that is not achieving its goal there so um and so they talked about a few games uh they they spent a while on PUBG. if you ch go check out that segment it's very awkward they keep saying they're sorry and they're not presenting really any new stuff that is exciting so i don't know it's they, i think what, they should rework this but what do they specifically say they're sorry for because you know PUBG came out as the uh, a preview at xbox uh game which was not complete and apparently it was a lot less complete than they would have liked and it was buggy and there were things that didn't work and so they wanted to acknowledge that which i think is commendable um but so larry herb uh went to korea at the PUBG core and he uh, spent a few days with them and and brought back a kind of uh, uh you know showcase presentation of the the devs talking to the community and it it felt like I don't know. I, I mean, I, when I worked at Blizzard, I was in PR, so maybe that colored my um, image of it. But sometimes the narrative you're threading becomes the like the things you're saying become the narrative for the audience. And at that in that presentation, which lasted for ten minutes, they 
acknowledged their uh, uh, issues with the game. Um, and then they said, oh, but we're launching 1.0 and it's going to be great. It's launching in September and the game is finally going to be complete. So what I'm hearing as a, a gamer isn't necessarily, oh, the game is finally going to be complete. It's, oh, it was crap until now and, and didn't work. Mm. So I think it's great to acknowledge that you've had issues and to apologize for it. Absolutely. It's super important. But you definitely have to then follow that up with something to hype. Or something yes. to, you know, look forward to for the, the players. And they're going to have the map, you know, Sandhawk, that was available on PC for a long time. and But that's not super exciting because everyone knows about it. So, I don't know. I think the, the way the message is crafted, and that's pure, you know, PR comms thing. It's, it's basically marketing wrapper around the actual facts. But it matters. And I think they're not doing the best job they could there. So... Sure. You need to, I guess it's like the tank and spank mentality, isn't it? You know, you have the mm -hmm. tank of the sorry and then you follow it up with something else to look forward to. Exactly, and yeah. yeah, that's a shame. Mm. So, I mean, they might have announced the uh, Elite controller, uh, the second one now. I, it might still be going on. I'm not sure, but we'll update you if, if we hear about this during the show. Um, but yeah, so that was a little bit underwhelming. Um, it's not quite Gamescom, it was leaked ju just before Gamescom, but uh, Blizzard announced Diablo 3 coming to the Switch, which is uh, kind of exciting and at the same time kind of, well, I played this a uh, million times already, so I don't know if I want to buy it again to start from scratch on the Switch, but uh, appar apparently according to the um, initial tests and reviews, it is running really well 60 frames per second or close to and um it is uh, but the resolution of course accommodates that so portable mode mm. is 720 and on the uh, uh home console tv it's a uh, 900p understandable um yeah diablo 3 it's i keep joking that it's basically blizzard's uh, skyrim it's going to show up on toasters pretty soon it's on everything yeah. um so are you going to play diablo 3 on the switch yeah, like I, th I think I will. I mean, it packs in a lot because it's got the original game plus the Reaper of Souls expansion plus adventure mode that's fully unlocked from the outset. You've got the Challenge Rifts, Size Cube, the Crusader yeah. class. Like there's, there's a lot of content in there. And um, like I never finished the first one. So and like the, the thing that I've loved about the Nintendo Switch as a console is that there have been loads of games that I've never finished on a normal kind of console or PC because I always got pulled away in my life to other things. But because I can take the switch on my commute, I'm kind right. of, I find a really it's a catch up set console. Yeah. 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 So actually like, it means that if you are playing a game, you know, there's always going to be a set period of time during your day when you can play that and you actually end up completing more games. So it's been great to go back and, and try the games that you kind of, missed or didn't finish first time round. Yeah, that's very true. There's a few of those that I uh, I got on the Switch just for that reason. Um, I do think it's a little bit uh, too bad that you don't have cross-save at least across consoles. And yeah. I think to an extent, Sony is to blame for this. And we've talked about this for, you know, when, when the issue arised, uh, arose with uh, Fortnite. Um, and by the way, Bethesda is kind of making noise on this for um, Fallout 76. And they're, they went pretty hard on uh, Sony saying, yeah, it's their fault if we don't do cross. Oh, oh, no, what they were saying is, 
if we don't have crossplay, then, you know, the game is not coming out uh, in so many words, which was like, whoa, okay. And uh, that's, they were saying, this is the experience we have, we want with the game, and that's what we're going to get. So <laughs> it seems like the <laughs> pressure is, is uh, uh, ramping up on, on Sony to find a solution, which, yeah. oh my God, please, yes, it's 2018. It, the world is different. I've talked about this before. But yeah, so no, for but Diablo, it, it, yeah, it's, go ahead. It's such a, it's such a good point because, you know, at the end of the day, there's, there's a reason why um, Nintendo has banked so hard on this idea of social gaming and um what they say is bring your own console is the thing that they always talk about at their events right, where right. they're like oh you know show up with your switch and play with each other because they know how important social gaming is and cross play is a huge part of that it's the ability to kind of sit down with your friends of you know whatever console that they're on especially considering there are so many to choose from now that the likelihood is that not all of your friends are going to have the same ones. So, yeah, and especially Sony on a game like uh, a game like Diablo, where you probably already have characters that you've leveled up. I mean, yeah. not you, Alicia, so you can enjoy it for the first time fresh <laughs> on Diablo. But um, for me, if I could get my character on the Switch version, then I would be like, okay, sure, I'll just you know fork up uh, uh, sixty bucks again and whatever, I'll play it on the Switch as well. But going back, so I was thinking maybe if there was like an arcade-like mode where you would have max, max level characters with a specific build and specific setup uh, of gear that you could go and, and choose from to play with your friends, because you can play with different Switches, everyone on the same Switch. It's like every configuration is available. So it's just, it's too bad. I hope they find a, a solution for that, but... We'll yeah, me too. Me too. Fingers crossed. I know that it would be incredible for the games community who've been pushing for it for years. Yeah. And, and Sony did say that they're trying to find a way to make it work and still have a, a decent and protect their business model, which I understand why they're saying this. The, I think the reason why they don't want to, to enable it is that if ever, anything you buy, which is the core of the issue, anything you buy or have access to on any console is also available on uh, any console, that means that you can buy, another platform can do a sale on items that you go buy elsewhere and then you have access to on your PlayStation as well. And since they have the dominant position, they're like, well, you know, F that. We just <laughs> set the prices and we control the, the pricing structure. So I understand why they want to keep it like that, but still. Um, Blizzard is having their uh, streaming day tomorrow. They're going to show probably new Overwatch uh, short. They announced they would. Uh, the The Ashara one for WoW, that's WoW nerd stuff. Um, and there's apparently uh, Lego Overwatch that's coming soon. Mm. Which, oh my God, I can't wait for my baby to grow up enough that he can play with Lego. That, yeah, that's of course. I hadn't thought about that. What a way to introduce your son to the world of Overwatch. <laughs> to my favorite video game. Exactly. Um, there's a bunch of other things, um, dates announced, like Devil May Cry is coming out March uh, 2019, there's some more, some new gameplay footage with a crazy uh, <laughs> dual bike swords, which is <laughs> insane, like I'm not kidding, like they, I, I think it's Dante, but I'm not sure, he jumps in in the fray on the bike that he j then splits into and uh, uh, hits monsters with, it's 
insane. Uh, but it's funny. Um, there's, I mean, a bunch of other things. Uh, Shenmue 3 was announced as mm -hmm. launching on August 2019, which, <laughs> I mean, okay. Um, <laughs> not going to comment anymore on Shenmue 3. I, I feel know, that's it, kinda, it feels like Boy Who Cried Wolf, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's And, and I mean, the state of what we've seen like a few months ago only was like, I don't think that game's ready for launching in a year, even in a year. I mean, anyway, we'll see. Um, yeah, Isn't it, I mean, aren't we, we're, we're two years over the point where he said that it was going to launch, aren't we? I don't Already. even remember, you know, when it's, I mean, the Kickstarter, was it 2016? The Kickstarter? Yeah. So I'm it's sure, not... I'm sure that it was two years ago was the original Release but that was day. the launch of the Kickstarter, not the release mm. day, I don't think. I did. Was it? Maybe. Oh, no, wait, wait, you're right. It was 2015, the Kickstarter. Yeah, because it was, Jeez. no, I'm sure it was because it was, I remember being there at the E3 um, when it was announced. Yeah. And yeah, that would have been 2015. So, yeah, it's been <laughs> a while. I mean, I understand these kinds of games take a while to develop. That I, is not even necessarily my my biggest issue. Um, the issue is what we've seen of it, you know, what they've presented, which which felt like not even a. It felt like it was developed on on uh, Dreamcast, like almost. I'm j joking, but I'm kind of not. <laughs> but yeah. Anyway, we'll see. A bunch of things happening at Gamescom. Um, we're probably missing a couple of things that's happening right now. Um, if we are, we'll talk about them next episode. Uh, another thing I did want to mention and discuss is the rumors that seem to be quite uh, uh, solid about uh, Microsoft's next Xbox consoles. And uh, there are going to be apparently two models, and both of them are going to rely on the cloud quite a bit. So basically... I'm not going to dance around the bush, beat around the bush, dance around the thing uh, for very long. <laughs> the, the, the games on the next Xbox consoles would be playable either as physical media on the more expensive console, which would be a traditional one, or um, be playable as streaming for the, with the Xbox streaming service in the same way that, you know, we've seen on live back in the day, Shadow PC does this for in another way, but it's basically video streaming of your game and the server is up in the cloud streaming you the video and you only have the, the controller essentially um, that sends up the signals to the cloud and that is how you play so you don't really need a big box at your home and for that reason they are able to um, sell you another console if you wish to have it which is only a streaming box so it would be much cheaper let's say you know the, the traditional console would be 400 bucks you can either buy the game physically or play it uh, in streaming or you buy the 100 bucks console and it's just a streaming box and of course you can't play the game physically locally um, so you have the issue of lag and you need to have a good um, connection in order for this to work uh, but the console is much cheaper and the other thing is that they apparently are including a, a little bit of computing in the box and that allows them to do some predictive things to compensate for the lag in a way that uh, mitigates a good portion uh, of that lag, which is the main issue on these types of services. Um, so what do you think about that idea? Uh, do you think it could work? Do you think it's the right approach uh, for, for 
Do you think it's even uh, uh, viable? Oh, Patrick, to answer that question, I would have to have a full-on degree in computer programming, which I wish I had. But I'll, I'll tell you what, I do know. I do know that many people have tried and failed to create a game streaming service because mm. it's a really challenging thing to get right. And I don't know if you remember, but like Sony acquired um, a streaming oh, game Gaikai, service yeah. called yeah yeah um it, yeah and also in one called on live and so yeah on live yeah, and yeah. gaikai yeah. and that eventually became part of its playstation now service and like we've seen nvidia has been trying to stream games to pcs but basically all of these different services that already exist have suffered some form of latency and that's been holding them back from being widely used because at the end of the day gamers want performance over i guess just um convenience or, yeah. yeah convenience mm. exactly so i like basically what microsoft thinks that it's done now is it, it thinks it's figured out how to handle the latency issues and and aspects of cloud gaming so like i don't know i like hopefully they've got it right and, and it certainly seems by having a cloud console with a limited amount of compute locally for specific tasks like controller input and image processing and you know that all important collision detection that seems really promising but i don't know like the downside of it all is that since more hardware is needed locally it's going to raise the price of the streaming box but it will still cost significantly less than what we are accustomed to paying for a new generation console. So that should help expand the platform's reach. I guess at this stage, it's it's kind of like a, a seesaw of it's a really cool idea and, and we'll just have to see which way it goes. Yeah, it's definitely, you're right. There are like some super positive things about it and also some downers that are significant as well. Um I think, you know, there are a few things that can answer the, the very valid concerns you're putting forth. Uh, neither Sony nor NVIDIA had the kind of infrastructure that uh, Microsoft has. You know, with the Azure service, Microsoft is one of the foremost companies in having infrastructure throughout the world. So I think if anyone can make that work, they would be one of the, those anyone's. Um, the collision detection you mentioned is really important because when you're talking about lag, um, the really important thing is you don't want to either, you know, fall through a platform because it, the server is not in the same state as what you're, you think you're seeing at that moment or uh, missing a shot because you are aiming a, a second ahead or behind what is actually the game state in the cloud. And that's, additional computing on the box is designed uh, for collision det detection, again, as you mentioned. So if they manage to fix that, it is a huge part, or at least to mitigate it. And finally, um, this is a, a dual approach. So you have the traditional console, if you don't want to rely on the quality of your internet connection or on the cloud if you think, well, you know, for some games it's fine, but I really want the precision thing, then you can buy the traditional console. But all the games will be available on both, so you don't have to choose between one game and another. And the people who don't want that premium, you know, uh, uh, NVIDIA RTX uh, 2090, 2080 Ti uh, <laughs> kind of, I want the best thing, can still have access to it for a cheaper price. And yeah, you're going to have, you know, 250 milliseconds of lag or 500 milliseconds of lag, which is a lot for a gamer that wants 
the best thing. To play competitive. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Competitive, that's out of the question. But if you want to just, you know, play Halo uh, in, in single player and go through the story or Shadow of the Tomb Raider or whatever, you can do that. And you can do that at the best possible performance. And even more than this, I think this is possibly the most interesting part. Um, theoretically, they could retrofit every single Xbox One or maybe even Xbox 360s to play, you know, to, to use that service. So instantly they have a gigantic install base for, for that thing. Um, they also have the Game Pass service, which includes all of their games, you know, for a subscription, which could suddenly work with this service as well. I mean, I don't know. There's a lot of interesting bits in all of it, which make me think if someone can manage to do it, and a lot of people are interested, apparently Google is developing a, a similar kind of technology for console, for gaming yeah, console as I well. So I think it's possibly coming. And if it's going to work, it seems Microsoft has the best possible approach to, to turn it into reality. Sure. No, that's a really interesting take on it, and um, and you're you're totally right that it it doesn't surprise me that it would be Microsoft and Google that would lock horns on right. this particular one. Like ev everyone knows that the company that cracks game streaming, when you look at the likes of Netflix and Spotify and streaming services working in other industries, like this will be huge. So yeah. they really want a slice of that cheesecake. Yeah, yeah. And and we'll see. I mean, of course, this is still all rumors. We don't know what, what is really happening, but it seems this is the way they're going. So we'll see. Um, talking about the now, now, the Nintendo <laughs> Switch. Uh, so N Nintendo has announced they have sold uh, about 20 million units of the Switch. And it was released in, in March last year, I think. So that's, uh, what, 15 months, 16 months, something like that. Um, that's a super good start, especially since they only had one holiday season. So really yeah. good performance for the console. We, we knew it was selling like gang gangbusters. So it's not... That's surprising. But I guess it does beg the question of where do they go from here? Um, have they front-loaded their sales? Or are they, you know, do they have so many good games already after just a year and, and a few months uh, on the market that people are going to buy the console for those games that are already making a, a gigantic, powerful library? Um I'm not even sure. What do you think? Yeah, it's an interesting question. And I, I was reading a Polygon article earlier that I thought raised a really interesting point that the Switch does have a, a really big advantage over traditional consoles because, you know, most households will own one big console for their one big TV, either a PlayStation or an Xbox. But Nintendo, like we were talking about earlier, like Nintendo are really leaning into this social aspect of gaming. They really drum it up in all their marketing, all of their games, all of their games events. They want multiple members of the same house household and friends and family to all sit down on beanbags ideally and, and hook up their devices together and play all these games. What that means is that multiple members of a household have to have a switch. So suddenly uh -huh. households aren't buying <laughs> one console, they're buying four. So that's actually, that's quite smart in that, you know, this could have been a wave of, you know, every household buying one switch and then soon they'll buy one for another brother or sister and maybe a parent will buy one so there's definitely a possibility for it to go up because at the end of the day like nintendo's created a brand new 
market category. It's actually, I, I almost, I don't know how you feel about this, Patrick, but sometimes I find it a bit strange to compare the Nintendo Switch to a Playstation or an Xbox because it, it kind of feels like it's created a new yeah, console market within its own yeah. right. Yeah. It, it, so it's, yeah, you know, it's like, it's not a gimmick and, and sales aren't limited to existing Nintendo fans and, it, and it's created this kind of new way to game. So it'll create its own space. That's yeah, that's definitely true. And and when you're, I mean, it is a, a different beast, and it appeals to people who already have either you know a, a big PC or a, a traditional quote unquote console. Um, and what you're saying about buying multiple consoles, yeah, you can buy some for your, uh, you know, the the other kids in the family and things like that. But also, Nintendo is an expert at releasing a new version of the hardware, which is still a little bit early to do, uh, but it, I, you know it's coming. And at that point, you're like, well, you know, I'll, I'll buy the Switch 2 or or the portable only version of the Switch, like the Switch Go or whatever, or, and I'll, I'll fork over, I'll give the old version to my kid or something. And we're also at an age now where a few of us are having kids and i mean people in my age category are still very hardcore gamers so it wouldn't be uh, incredible for them to buy a couple of switches and give them to their children or spouses or whatever um i'm still a little bit concerned about the big hitters i mean mm. as we say every day um the Switch has become a fantastic home for slightly older games or or uh, indie games, and that in itself can sustain the people who don't already have one. Maybe aren't convinced by those. And we yeah, do have sure. we do have Smash Brothers coming, um, which is I I think the people who want Smash Brothers so much they're going to buy a Switch for already have it. Um, you have Metroid Four, which is going to come at some point. I think it's kind of the same deal. Um, but, I mean, we were talking, there's Diablo coming, there's uh, Doom Eternal is actually launching on the Switch, uh, the, the sequel to the 2016 Doom. We're going to talk about this in a little bit at QuakeCon. So, mm. I mean, it's not like the sales are going to flatline tomorrow. That's not what I'm saying. But as successful as it is, I think what's going to... I, I mean... I know what's going to happen, actually. They're going to do some really cool bundles, maybe a price cut at some point, maybe not right this holiday season, but it's going to get to the point where people get jump on a, 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 not a sale because the price of the console isn't necessarily going to go down, but a great bundle, and they're like, okay, F it, I'm just going to get it because everyone's talking about it and everyone loves it. So I'm optimistic, but cautiously optimistic, I would say. Oh, is that what your crystal ball threw up? <laughs> Cautiously optimistic. Yeah. No, I, I hear that. And I, you know what? I think you make a really, really good point that it's true. Like the Nintendo Switch has become this, this go-to machine for, for ports. And mm. that does beef up its limited roster of exclusives. And like for me personally, that's one of the things that I love about it. I love the fact that I can go back and, and play ports in these little needly indie games. But I appreciate that that's not gonna get people going out and buying it unlike like whereas last year you had mario and zelda and people oh, yeah. were buying the console just to play those um 
But I don't know, like, I just, I think in the in the games industry, there's a really big focus on what's next, what's coming down the pipeline. Exactly, and, yeah. You know, a game is obsolete within a month, unless <laughs> it's an online multiplayer game. And even then, it needs to have new content to keep people hooked. And yeah, like, we, we talk about games from two years ago as if they were forged in Neolithic campfires. <laughs> and I think there's something really brilliant about the Nintendo Switch becoming a platform for games to be born again and to be discovered by new audiences to play those classics that you might have missed any time and, and anywhere. It's, it's a godsend to people who might have missed that game first time round, as we, as we were saying earlier. So, yeah, like, I hear you from a business perspective, I, I agree. I think sales aren't going to go skyrocketing up, but I actually really appreciate Nintendo doing it in the time being before the next big exclusive gets announced further down the timeline. Can yeah. you look in your crystal ball and let us know what the next big exclusive <laughs> is going to be? I would. I would. Uh, OK, I'm going to tell you it's going to be a Pokemon game. And that might be the big thing they're keeping. Hey. Under wraps and yeah, yeah, that that can possibly be it. Yeah. I mean, I uh, because Pokemon Let's Go is, let's be honest, that's not the next big Pokemon. No, it's, it's not. A, it's a, it's a nice little appetizer, exactly, but it's, yeah. it's that's, that's I, I feel like that's their strategy of like making sure that they've got some people trying out Pokemon on the Nintendo Switch and like mm. maybe some um, lapsed Pokemon fans might buy the Nintendo Switch just for that. But it's almost, it's, it's just making that, because this, this is like the first Pokemon game to actually make its home on the Nintendo Switch proper. So right. it's it's almost bedding down before it launches the big one later and gets all the yeah. teething issues out of the way. I think, well, yeah, I think 2019 will be probably Pokemon and Metroid Prime. So we'll see what happens there. there. Um, yeah, so talking about the Switch, I do want to talk about a couple of games I've been playing quite a bit. Uh, and the first one is Dead Cells. I've talked mm. about it here and there. I've raved about it on Twitter. I did play the early access version of on PC last year when it came out. Didn't quite get into it, but it came out on Switch and it, it became one of those things that uh, you were talking about, Alicia. It, you know, I for some reason on the Switch, it's even easier to play when it's docked than the PC because the PC you have to, you know, launch steam and launch the game and get the controller and sit at your you know desk and it's like this whole weird thing on the switch i just turn it on press thing it's a console obviously but it's even simpler than an, an xbox one or a playstation 4 there there's no like lengthy updates and the system that launches if i want to just take it to the bed i just i mean it's a switch everyone knows what it is but so I've been playing Dead Cells and I must have sunk, I don't know, dozens of hours already in that game. It came out on the Switch like, I don't know, two, three weeks ago. And I played it so much. It is honestly a magical game. So it's a Metroidvania roguelike for those who don't know. Essentially, the, the levels are generated semi-randomly. So it's fresh, but it's still structured. 
and um, you play with different, again, random weapons. There's a limited selection, of course, but every weapon is viable. You have different uh, tools and weapons and mutations that will change the way the weapons work and give you bonuses. So you do your runs, and when you uh, reach a certain point, you can exchange some of the things you've picked up for permanent upgrades. So that's how, you know, roguelike works. Um and it makes you stronger and stronger and you can do better and better everyone to get to the actual end of uh, the game. And it takes a very long time, but every playthrough is enjoyable and there are multiple ways of, of playing through the game. And I'm not going to explain like I'm not doing a Dead Cells review, so I would I could talk about this game for two and a half hours, <laughs> like nonstop. Um, but it... It gets so many things right. It's got a little bit, as I said, Metroidvania. It's got a little bit of roguelike. It's got a little bit of Diablo even, like the way you play it with the items that influence each other. The, the combat is so tight. The gameplay is so tight, so polished. Uh, everything works perfectly. Uh, there's difficulty that you feel is, is too much, but then you manage to overcome it and it, it feels natural it's such a great game i can't say enough good things about it absolutely i've heard exactly the same things i've not managed to play it yet but you know it, there's a reason why it got such a, a wave of positive reception on social media and that kind of gorgeous fun frenetic kind of twitchy like gameplay does work really well on the switch because it's it's very instantaneous you know you can just turn it off turn it on again pick it up on your commute, kind of go through a section, turn it off, immediately come back. Like there's, yeah, like there's something really responsive about the Switch that I can just see it being a, an excellent place to play Dead Cells. Would yeah. you, I mean, would would you have played it on any other console or, or do you feel like the Nintendo Switch is the place to play it? I don't, you know, I think I, I maybe would have played it on, for some reason, psychologically, I feel like my PlayStation is more for bigger games, which obviously it's yeah. not, you know, Dead Cells is available on the PS4 as well, but it it feels different uh, somehow. And even those 30 seconds less on, on the Switch feel it, make it feel more like I want to use it more for that kind of, of thing. Um, so no, I, I'm not sure I would have played it more on my PlayStation. Played it on my PlayStation. Maybe I would have tried a, an hour and then forgotten about it. I don't know, but uh, it certainly is at home on on the Switch. Um, a, a few people have mentioned that there are some stutters graphically. It's suffering a little bit. The the dev team is working on it. Um, I didn't find it was too problematic it happens every half an hour you get one stutter or something like that so yes of course if you're in right in the middle of dodging a, a hit from a boss then yes it's going to be uh, annoying but it's very rare very very rare so it's not a problem for me if it is for you then i understand you might want to wait but for me it is absolutely a must buy now for now it is high up there in my you know favorite games of the year list along with celeste and and um uh, God of War and those things. So can't recommend it highly enough. Obviously, if you don't like these kinds of games at all, you might not like it, but I'm not especially attra attracted to the indie, you know, uh, uh, pixel art kind of thing. It's not usually my jam, but it's just 
it, it just uh, uh, took my heart and, and kept it for itself, this, this Dead Cells Aww. game. <laughs> oh, and by the way, uh, French uh, development team, French company. So oh, shout there out. you go. That's 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 why the French, we know how to do things. <laughs> um, Stick other, together. Yeah, exactly. The other game I, I wanted to talk about is uh, Battle for Azeroth, the latest World of Warcraft expansion. And uh, a lot of the listeners are going to be uh, wow heads <laughs> or wow people because uh, that's where I got my start. But every time, you know, this game gets me. It's um, obviously... As I mentioned, you know, I used to work for Blizzard and I do a lot of shows about Blizzard stuff. So slight ethical statement. If you don't want to believe me, then you can because I am a little bit biased, I suppose. But I'm biased because I love these things. And, and World of Warcraft, how they manage to keep the game... Uh, I mean, the core gameplay of it is still the same thing. Uh, you're still going to get quests that ask you to go uh, kill 10 wolves and, you know, it's going to be your uh, gameplay rotation from an MMO, arcade MMO. That's still the same thing. But the way they dress it up into this narrative experience with these incredibly beautiful vistas and they make it really easy for you to come back to it if you've, uh, uh, or actually even if you only uh, get to it this time, you get a character boost to start playing with everyone else. You don't have to play from level one. Um, and it's so beautiful. The, they've added so many uh, cinematics in the game, it, especially at the beginning. You get like, I don't know, 10 cinematics, or either in-game or pre-rendered. Um, not the huge expensive ones that are like CGI movie quality type things, but like the improved in-game uh, pre-rendered things that they do. You get so many of them and it, pulls you in the story, um, the narrative aspect of it is expertly done for this expansion. And it's definitely fun. If, you're enjoy, if you enjoy MMOs, if you enjoy um, World of Warcraft, um, the, the beginning of the experience, at least for me, has been really good. The leveling has been great. I've done the Alliance. Oh, that's another thing they do. So in World of Warcraft, you have two factions, the Alliance and the Horde. And in this expansion, they level, they have two different, entirely different stories. They have two different continents. Um, and when you're on one side, you have an entirely different story than you are on the other side. But you do go invade a little bit, <clears throat> a, a portion like... Do, uh, establish a forward base on the other's continent. So you see a little bit of their zones and their uh, the ambiance there. It's very well crafted. So uh, I've been having a blast. When my wife and kid were away for a few days, it was well party at the Patrick house. Um, I spent <laughs> a lot of time playing it. Um, Sounds like a great party. Oh, I mean, I was having fun. Uh, I don't know if anyone else would have, but <laughs> I certainly did. Uh, so you were telling me you never played World of Warcraft. Um, it, when something, when an expansion like this comes out, do you look at it and think, oh, that's for the WoW nerds and you don't really pay attention to it? Or are you intrigued? What do you think when you see that? No, I mean, like, I... Whenever an expansion drops, and, like, I think there's, there's the same with Elder Scrolls Online, like, they're, they're games that I've always been interested in, but I've never gotten into because it, it sort of feels like... I know, I know that these expansions are designed to bring in new players, but it feels like coming into like the Avengers series halfway <laughs> through, you know, like you're like, yeah, what's yeah. come before? Who's who? Oh, where do I go? Like, what's the, and um, yeah, I've, I've always just kind of, 
I think when I when I want to get into the game, I almost I want to do it from the beginning and like and do it right. And right, I think I just right, missed yeah. the boat with World of Warcraft. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, it's uh, I'm always curious, you know, and even when I was there, it was always our challenge because the the new expansion is for a game. It's essentially a game that's already they people have already covered so we're like telling them oh but you there's this thing and this thing that's really cool and they would review them of course but it was a little bit more challenging than for a new game i think now wow has gone into has gone for so long that it's become this phenomenon that people cover anyway it's like oh wow it's still going and people still love it all right then i guess uh, it didn't die 10 years ago like we everyone thought it would um but it's it's definitely in this weird place where the people who have played it at some point, I mean, it's been around for 14 years. There are children playing it now that weren't born when it came out. Can you imagine that? It's like, That's it's, great. it's insane. It's over three presidential terms. <laughs> exactly. A lot has happened. <laughs> so, um, so, yeah, anyway, I mean, that is my, I, yeah. Well, I was going to say, what would you say to, you know, to people who haven't got into World of Warcraft for whatever reason, because of, you know, um, time commitments, fear of, you know, not understanding what's going on? Like, do, do you think it's possible to get into big games like World of Warcraft now? Yeah, I think it is. Um, it, the... The onboarding experience is pretty good for new players if you want to start at, you know, the, the level of the expansion. Um, it's also very possible to start from, from the start. They've improved a lot of things that allow you to have a smooth experience from the start. Um, you know, I have a hard time, even with all of that, I have a hard time recommending it because it's kind of like recommending this band from the 80s that you love but that <laughs> is not necessarily to the taste of other people. It's, I don't know. I think my attachment to it is so emotional that I have a hard time judging it objectively. So I don't know that I could recommend it to people. And I mean, obviously it's a fun game. I think people would be having fun, but it's, it's, I never realized it was so hard to answer this question. Um, <laughs> I would say... There's a starter pack edition thing. Um, if you want to check out what it's about, what the whole thing is about, um, I don't even think you need to pay for it for the first 20 levels. So you can check that out and, and see if it works for you. And already in 20 levels, you have a tiny little bit of idea of what it's going to be. Actually, no, you don't have any idea what it's going to be ultimately. Um, I'm doing the worst job answering your question. Um, <laughs> You're such a former PR. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. I'm not. I'm, so, okay, here's what I'll say. Uh, find people who already play it. And no, actually, don't even play with them because they're going to take you in places you don't understand. Um, <laughs> all right, I'll give you an honest answer. Um, if you, If you're curious about it, I think it's worth the 60 bucks um, that will get you through a good chunk of gameplay time, uh, even if you don't keep playing for, you know, a, a few uh, uh, months after that and you don't go into the end game craziness. I think it's a fun experience, even for the 20 or 30 hours it's going to take you to level. And 
it's also an interesting experience to have as history at this point like you have to understand a little bit what world of warcraft is because it's part it's like having never played uh, tetris or having never played pac-man or something like that you know so i think it's worth it and i think it will be enjoyable i'm not 100 percent sure you need to pay for the subscription on top of the expansion i don't know if they give you a free month maybe they don't so you need to pay for a month of subscription on top of the expansion but uh, but you don't need to buy the base game anymore. So it's really the price of a regular game. It's just the expansion that you need to buy. Sure. No, that's interesting. That is, mm. that, it's cool to know that there's actually so much that you can try without too much commitment at yeah. the beginning. It's, yeah, I guess, uh, yes, thank you. You formalized what I uh, was trying <laughs> to say. They do a great job telling you what the story, up, you know, what you need to know in this story is they do a good job at this and it's really just a wow expansions have become standalone games really like every time you get through it it's the same systems to an extent uh but it's really a, a completely a complete reset from what it was before and you can completely play through it and have nothing to do with either the previous expansions or the next expansions like you were making the analogy to an avengers movie it kind of is a little bit of an Avengers movie, but it's more like one of the Marvel Cinematic Universe movies that you don't need, you know, that doesn't involve all of the other characters. It's like Captain America 1 or 2. You know, you can enjoy that movie uh, without having seen all of the other ones. Having seen all of the other ones will give you more, um, but it's not necessary. So you can absolutely treat it as a standalone game. Cool. Okay. That's actually, that's helpful. Th that makes Thank sense. You. All right. I managed after 15 minutes of rambling, <laughs> I got to a, uh, <laughs> that was, that's helpful. No, it's a big game to sum up. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. Um, all right. So that's what I've been playing. Looking forward to Spider-Man coming out in a couple of weeks and a bunch of other things. So we'll talk about those when the time comes. Um, quick detour via Evo and QuakeCon. Evo is, of course, the uh, giant fighting game uh, tournament that takes place every year. Um, I think it's in Vegas, but there's always announcements there and a, a couple of crazy things happened. Uh, Tekken 7 is going to ha have Negan from The Walking Dead. And you're yeah. like, what? <laughs> I know. Uh, it's, it's kind of insane. Are you a fighting game girl or... Um, is that something you follow from afar? Yeah, no, I, I've played um, a whole bunch of Tekken 7. We did a um, series at IGN where we got Ryan Hart in and we trained a guy up within a few weeks to compete on a main stage. And it, you know, it got me really into Tekken 7. And I mean, it, you know, it's an interesting one because like Noctis from Final Fantasy has also been a guest yeah. character. And uh, I feel like... Just just curveballs of guest characters are kind of becoming <laughs> a bit of a thing. But I actually I kinda like the idea of Negan. Like do you do you watch The Walking Dead? I I didn't watch the latest season. I've read mm. all of the comics though, and Negan sure. is the kind of character that would fit quite well in the Tekken universe where yeah. fathers throw their, their children <laughs> off cliffs and vice versa. <laughs> Totally, totally. He's that kind of messed up, and and it, but it but it's interesting that they're putting kind of Jeffrey Dean Morgan, the TV version right, of Negan, right, yeah. 
into the into Tekken 7 because like I guess it kind of makes sense because of the graphical realism that Tekken 7's going for um but yeah I, I'm, I'll be intrigued to see like what the the move set is I think he's going to be a real bruiser of a character where with probably not that many aerial moves should be pretty good for like wall bounce setups and things probably, very much yeah. using Lucille and like kind of like yeah, yeah. heavy and <laughs> power and um, yeah, I, yeah I for those who don't know, Lucille, Lucille is, is Negan's bat, uh, yes. barbed wired bat, whom he, whom he loves very dearly for various reasons. Um, <laughs> but yes, it, it's kind of kind of crazy. Can you imagine the conversation between the whoever it was and Jeffrey Dean Morgan to tell him like, so we want to put you through Negan in a game about beating people up. And he's like, hey, I mean, I don't know, maybe he's a gamer, but you know, it's like, oh, wait, I'd you want to do that what? if he were. <laughs> it would be It'd awesome. Be so that would be great. I'd um, love, I want to see the let's play of him playing Negan within the game. <laughs> as Negan. He, he has to be in character as yes, he's playing him. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> that would be a great great uh, piece of promo actually that would be <laughs> yeah so you're going to be able to play negan against akuma and and uh oh crap what's the fatal fury um one the first dlc character they added oh my god i forgot oh oh Did... no now i'm blanking ah uh, my uh, fart. anyway I'm... okay so yes him um it's it's <laughs> kind of insane um Uh, Terry Bogart uh, talking about yeah, the Fatal Fury. Guy, yeah, yeah, the, the blonde Geese guy. Howard. Thank you. Geese Howard. <laughs> Jeez, how can I forget? It's my whole childhood. Um, so Terry Bogart is going to be in Fighting EX Layer, which, I mean, we're getting into fighting game uh, uh, nerd nerdiness here. So that's kind of its own kind of, of craziness. Um, there's, okay, a bunch of other things, fighting games people don't necessarily care about. Uh, QuakeCon, Doom Eternal, a lot of gameplay of uh, Doom Eternal at QuakeCon. There was some other things um, from Fallout 76, but the, the main thing was definitely the reveals for Doom Eternal. Um, it feels like a sequel to Doom, to the 2016 Doom, which I absolutely loved. Um, There aren't a lot of new things. There's some uh, elements of multiplayer where you can invade someone else's games game if they've completed it and they're still playing. So you invade them as a demon and try to kill them. That could be fun. Uh, it's coming on the Switch. I think same release date, but I'm not 100% uh, sure. Um, and... There's, is it Panic Button that's doing it? Yeah, Panic Button. They're, they're the magicians um, of, the, of the Switch conversion. Oh, by the way, uh, Diablo 3 is not being developed by, uh, by Blizzard on the Switch. It's Iron Galaxy, the people who did Skyrim. And so oh, I, had, okay. I, I had supposed that it was like a training project for Blizzard for other things they wanted to do on the Switch. Uh, I guess that theory is out the window because I think Blizzard is working on Switch stuff. But I don't know. I, that kind of actually might disprove it if it's not them who's doing the, the conversion. But anyway, Doom Eternal. Um, did, did you like Doom the 2016 if you played it? And what did you think of this uh, very long gameplay session that they showed? 
I didn't play a lot of the 2016 Doom. I dipped into it enough because um, I loved Mark Brown's Game Maker's Toolkit and he did a really interesting episode on um, where he talked about the system of like how you gain back health and like player right. behavior of encouraging you to be more aggressive. To, and to I was like, jump oh, into the action, yeah. Oh, the, yeah. Game Maker's Toolkit, if you don't, if you don't watch it on, on YouTube, it's a fantastic series, yeah. It's so, so good. And it just delves into kind of um, little ways that game developers encourage our different behaviors within games and, and gently nudge us through it. And Doom is a really interesting example of that. Um, I did play it in VR, funnily enough, oh. um, which going eyeball to eyeball with a caco demon in VR is terrifying. <laughs> I will attest to that. And it was actually it was really, really fun. But yeah, no, I've not played too much of the uh the game yeah i i quite enjoyed it as i mentioned uh, i really liked it actually and you know this sequel seems like the kind of thing i would be all over if there weren't another million games i'm all over as well it's it doesn't seem to i mean i i'll play it i but I don't know. Um, ironically, something like Wolfenstein, which is where the, the narrative aspects are the really interesting part. Um, the sequel is interesting because I, to me because I want to know the, 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 you know what's happening in the story. Um, in Doom, we'll see how it plays. Maybe it's different. I mean, it's a lot more mobile. You have a kind of dash that can change the way it plays. And um, it's it will have been long enough uh, since the original one that I want to get back into that, that gameplay groove. But I'm not as uh, um, uh, tickled by, by this uh, version. Like, I will probably play it, but I'm not incredibly excited about it, uh, even sure. though I really love the, the original one. Sure, yeah. No, I get that. There are, there are games like that where you just... There's too many other things that are yeah. drawing your attention. Uh, talking about things that are drawing our attention, uh, we got cool. a gameplay footage uh, trailer thing of Red Dead Redemption 2. Um, yeah. It was, what, six, seven minutes? It's, it's the kind of thing where uh, there's a... a someone who's explaining uh what's happening on screen and it's a number of different elements gameplay elements of the game um uh, it's what you, you you would expect uh there are there's an open world you can do a whole bunch of different activities there's uh they insisted on the fact that you're going to be establishing your camp with your band of outlaws and you're going to be moving around and learning to know their stories and their things um at the camp so that's a, apparently a big portion of your your gameplay experience and you're going to be able to choose if you're a good guy or a bad guy through your actions essentially like you can shoot someone or that seems like uh, something that is common in games but it felt a little bit more natural in the way they were presented it, presenting it we'll have to see how it works out uh, in the actual game um so yeah what what did you think about it were are you were you already uh, uh, super hyped for Red Dead Redemption 2? Did this hype you? Did this kind of let you wanting or left? Yeah, yeah I mean, if, if Rockstar are good at anything, it's world building. And right. um, the level of detail that they showed off in this trailer is is just phenomenal. And I'm really excited to see the kind of, just like the little the little touches. I think there's a reason why you were saying just then that it, the the building relationships with the outlaws and stuff felt really natural. And, it, and it'll be because they'll have paid really close attention into how you 
you speak to your gang you know it's it's, it's not like I love Dragon Age but it's not going to be as clunky as going up and pressing X and going into like this dialogue there'll be like conversations going on behind your back and like you know um, environmental dialogue and things like that that I'm just I'm excited to see how like all of these relationships pan out and yeah. to play some of the saloon games because that's one of the, <laughs> the best things about red dead is that you can you can go around and you can be a cowboy or you could just go from bar to bar and get really drunk <laughs> and pay, play cards <laughs> <laughs> that I, i'm pretty I, actually they showed that it's possible to do that as well um exactly. yeah it's 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 true what they the the one of the draws of these games and especially of red dead redemption was the feeling that you were being transported into that world, into the far west, um, and in in I remember when I first played Red Dead Redemption, I after like a half hour, I got on my horse and started just walking towards the sunset and looking at like the wildlife and the birds in the distance and I was lost in it not just because graphically it was like that a, a demo could do that but because of what you're talking about the the world building through the little things the conversations the excellent out acting the uh things that are happening around you that that transported me in this and I I did feel a little bit of that I mean I felt that in all of those trailers I don't know why I'm not Super, I should be super hyped about Red Dead Redemption 2. And sure. I'm only hyped, I guess. You know, sure. that's that's a good problem to have for a game, but still. No, I, I hear you. And I I think for me, like, I'm I'm actually pretty level with you on that. Like, I'm looking forward to it and I will absolutely play it. But I'm not, like, you know, tearing my hair out. And I, I think maybe that's mm. just part of the hype machine, you know? Like, like I, I almost feel like it's because my body's being really, like, contrary to the popular opinion of oh my god red dead and inside my brain's like nope no you will not be like everyone else (laughs) exactly no it makes me feel so good that you say that because i felt i was weird uh for for feeling like that but at least i'm not alone now so thank you yeah no and i think there's nothing wrong with being healthily you know looking forward <laughs> to it you know but but not kind of bouncing up and down in your seat because there's there is an awful lot else yeah yeah no plate. exactly like it's not that i'm not looking forward to it I'm, I'm still looking forward to it but it's not you know and i think it's also a weird disconnect between my anticipation for the sequel to Red Dead, which I loved, and the fact that, like, I'm not as hyped as I would be, as I thought I would have been, I guess. But anyway. Sure. I mean, I, I've reached the point, honestly, I, I said this when the last trailer dropped. I was like, do you know what? Actually, I don't want to see any more. Yeah, exactly. Like, I just, <laughs> now, I just want the game and I don't want any more content. I just want to, it's going to, it's just spoilery now. Like, that's, that's almost part mm. of the, if I didn't know as much, I think I would be even more excited you know like we we've bought into this culture where we need to know everything before we play it i'm i completely understand i'm part of the uh you know no spoilers at all movement for movies uh specifically like i actively (laughs) this is ridiculous uh i don't watch trailers and even if i'm in a movie theaters and they show trailers i like 
actually put my my fingers in my ears and start going like and close my eyes and go la 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 my wife pretends she doesn't know me when I do that but, uh, but I, I find I enjoy the movies a lot more since I started doing that and and for games it's definitely a little bit of the same like I see a couple of trailers and after a while I'm like okay I don't I, I'm Maybe it's because I know I'm going to play the game anymore, if only for professional reasons. Um, I Sorry, I mean, play the game anyway, if only for professional reasons, or that's what I pretend. Um, but I'm like, yeah, I don't I don't need more. Same with uh, Spider-Man, where they started showing a lot of things. I would rather be surprised. Yeah, by totally. And mm. I'm with you. Um, all right, let's talk about uh, Discord and Steam for just a minute before we uh, close off this episode. Um, Discord is, surprise, going to start selling games. It's going to turn into, well, it's going to add a store to its uh, client. And I guess, yeah, that's not such a surprise because that's a really obvious way of monetizing their platform, which is... I don't think making enough money from their um, Turbo or Nitro subscribers, I don't think it is enough. So um, that's that makes a lot of sense. And there are a lot of game platforms on the market already, like stores on the market. Obviously, there's Steam, Steam good old games, and the proprietary ones from every um, developer or publisher. Uh it seems like out of all of those, obviously Steam stands out, but Discord would be the one that would have an opportunity to be the second one um, because it's so popular with gamers and core gamers in general. They definitely, I don't know that they're going to make it, but they have an opportunity, it seems, because it's agnostic and it's loved by its community. Yeah, no, definitely. And, and, and it'll be interesting to see how they capitalize on that because they've they've already got this kind of base community there as you say yeah yeah um so they have 150 million users now um we'll see it's a test in canada at the moment um but it's coming i mean they already added the uh games tab so we know it's half there and it's coming and uh they say they want to curate the um games that are going to come in the store i'm sure they want to in the beginning but they're not going to say no to people who i mean if you're half reputable i'm sure you're going to be able to get on the discord store and initially i'm sure the big players are not always going to want to be there but as the thing grows it's another way of selling your game and that's always good for everyone Mm. and i like the fact that they you know they say outright that they don't want to sell ads or user data so they're mm. just trying to work out other ways to make money um yeah. yeah i like that transparency that is definitely important in today's world um and a, a quick tidbit about valve and steam there's steam.tv uh, that went live with uh, some uh, uh dota 2 international uh content they said it was a bug but it's possible that this is going to be a streaming platform uh it's even likely and they're testing it so that's happening and uh i don't know uh, ironically as much as i think that discord would have a chance to be the second store uh even more than good old games uh for for selling games on pc I'm not sure that Valve would be or Steam.tv would be that second streaming destination. Um, 
I don't know why. It feels to me like the Steam streaming community already exists, and that's Twitch. Um, there's such a, in my mind at least, a one-to-one between the two. It feels like uh, Steam.tv would have an uphill battle in creating a streaming service for regular people. But um, I don't know. Um, and finally, uh, Steam might be uh, enabling Linux or Windows emulation for some games on Linux. I don't know if it would work with Wine, which is a, essentially a thing that translates Windows functionality into Linux. I don't know how it would work, but that could be interesting as well because it could enable, if it works for enough games, and if it kind of emulates Windows, it essentially emulates Windows. I know it's not the exact way it works technically, but if it emulates Windows on Linux, then or the Windows functionalities, then uh, it means that games can be developed for Windows and be used on Linux, which means a whole new possibility for Steam boxes, which I understand have been a big uh, uh, bust uh, already. The Steam OS is not really working out the way uh, Valve would have wanted, and they have half abandoned it. But that's because most of the games weren't there. If all of a sudden they find a way to reliably run Windows games on Linux, then you don't care about any of the Linux. You just use it to not have to pay for Windows on your gaming machine, and then it becomes a possibility. Uh, obviously, it's not a home run, but it it's an intriguing possibility for me. Yeah, totally. I think you summed it up really well. Yeah. So we'll see how that goes as well. And... I think that is going to be it. Um, there are a couple of <laughs> other things <laughs> like Fortnite coming on Android, not on Google Play. That's a whole thing. Uh, it seems Fortnite is also coming to the Apple TV. That's the next frontier for it, it, it looks like. Uh, a bunch of other things we don't have to get into because they're uh, uh, either old or not important enough to make the cut on this very important show. But uh, <laughs> yeah, thank you so much, Alicia, for being on the show with me today. It was lovely. If people want to uh, follow you somewhere, I, I usually uh, give people's Twitter accounts, but uh, do you have any, any place to recommend people go to learn more about you? Oh, that's very kind. And, and thank you so much for having me on the show. Um, the Basically, I think the probably the best place is Twitter. It's at Alicia Judge, um, but spelled really weirdly, A-L-Y-S-I-A. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like that that's probably the best place. It's where I post most of my stuff. Excellent. Well, I include the Twitter accounts of uh, uh, every guest in the show notes, so you will find so that organized. there. So organized. I know, right? You wouldn't think so, but uh, actually... <laughs> It's like the, what were we saying? The uh, conserving your saliva. It's half yeah. the, the job is, you know, getting the Twitter accounts in the show notes and the saliva thing and you're a podcaster. That's it. Um, for me, it's not Patrick on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. You can also find this show at frenchspin.com and uh, you can comment there if we said some silly things, if we said some clever things, you can let us know in the comments. And uh, yeah, as I said, uh, Twitter, uh, Facebook, and Instagram, it's not Patrick if you want to follow me there. Thank you so much for listening. We will be back in a couple of weeks with, wow, we're getting into the almost holiday season, basically the pre-Red Dead Redemption 2 that everyone is running away from by releasing their games earlier than ever before season. And that's going to be coming up. So we'll have stuff to talk about. I think we'll have... Uh, will we talk about 
Spider-Man at that point? Maybe not yet, but we'll see. In a couple of weeks, we'll be back. Have fun till then. Play Dead Cells and other games. And uh, we'll talk to you then. Bye. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.